Welcome back to a special Thanksgiving weekend edition of the EDBC podcast. I'm Joe Betts and Brian Coleman. And Brian, we have a special guest today. Why don't you tell the folks out there who uh, joined us for a great interview? Yeah, we had an opportunity a couple days ago to talk to Jeff Perlman, who's a sports writer of some note, uh, wrote for Sports Illustrated for several years, has written a ton of books uh, about some of the biggest figures in sports. His latest book, which, which came out a few months ago, uh, is called Three Ring Circus. Yep. And it basically details the Kobe, Shaq, Phil Jackson, uh, three-peat L.A. Lakers from the uh, late 90s and early 2000s, which if you remember, those the, those were quite the star-studded teams. But, and it's a great book about Shaq and Kobe and Phil and the, the relationship, the you know, dynamic between those guys. And also an inside look into like some of the even some of the lesser known players and just how what made that team tick. I mean, that was a, as close to a dynasty as we've gotten in a while from the NBA. I mean, even maybe more so than the Warriors. I mean, they won, won three straight. Um, Great title, too. The book title. I love it. Yeah, because it kind of was a three ring circus. Sure. You play on words. They had those three rings. They won three years in a row, but also a lot of, a lot of drama behind the scenes. And, and Kobe passed a, about seven months, I think, and Jeff gets into it uh, before he finished the book, which is really tough, and Jeff gets into that. And it's just a great interview. I mean, he was great. Uh, a lot of great stories, a lot of great tidbits. He's written a bunch of other books, too. Um, Gunslinger, story about Brett, uh, autobiography of Brett Favre, uh, yeah. Sweetness, story of Walter Payton, books on Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds, uh, a, a great book on the New York Mets called The Bad Guys One about the 86 Mets, a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah, and you don't have to be just a big sports fan to enjoy these books. These are character-driven books. So if you like no, character. yeah, I've written, I've read a bunch of his books, and probably, and I told, I think I told him this when we talked to him. One of my favorite books is is a book he wrote about three, two or three years ago in the USFL called Football for a Buck. Yeah, and like I, that USFL, that's almost going back thirty-five mm -hmm. years ago now, United yep. States Football League, and I was like, I don't know, I was not a huge, I don't remember that much about the USFL, but it does not matter. Because the stories about trying to get this this fledgling football league started from the ground up and keeping it alive is just great. And there's so many stories. It's a fun book. And you just breeze through it and you'll learn stuff about maybe some famous figures you don't know uh, or you didn't know, like, uh, say, Donald Trump when he owned the New, New Jersey Generals. But going back to Three Ring Circus, it's the same thing. Like, he really gets some great interviews and in-depth analysis from people who were there. He talked to everybody. Um just about everybody involved with those teams. It's, it's a great book, and he, he was a great interview. Well, before we get to the interview with Jeff, we hope you all had a great Thanksgiving. And if you're out driving around and doing shopping or hopefully safely doing whatever you're doing, you need a book, pick it up, read it. I suggested it. It's a really good book. He's a good guy, too, and I hope you'll enjoy the interview. But before we get to the interview, Brian, you're going to take care of a little business for us. It's, uh, you know, it's like shopping time, right? Yeah, exactly right. Listen, hey, man, we're – Black Friday, Cyber Monday coming, coming and going, and then you're gonna be, we're going to be full on to the holiday shopping season. All's well. Hey, man, why not shop for a mattress? You need to sleep well during the holidays. Get your rest. Well, All's Well wants to tell you about a new promotion coming up for the holidays. With Starting uh, Tuesday, December 1st, running through Tuesday, December 22nd, take 15% off any mattresses at allswellhome.com by using the promo code HOME for the holidays. That's 15% off all mattresses and 25% off other products like mattress covers or, you know, whatever you need to help make your bedroom or your sleeping experience a little bit more restful. 
allswellhome.com, home for the holidays is the promo code. You guys remember that, uh, you know, Ellswell is the leader in great mattresses without making you spend a great amount of money. Mattresses was $345. Go into the EDBC podcast, any episode, click on any one of our episodes, click on the episode, you'll see a link to allswellhome.com, click it on, find what you need in your, for your shopping mattress needs, and give a little love for our show if you use that link. So again, that's allswellhome.com, and 25, I'm sorry, 15% off the mattresses at, with the promo code home for holidays. All right. So without further ado, the great Jeff Perlman. Enjoy it. All right. So Three Ring Circus, a new book. Um, first of all, tell me a little bit uh, how you came about doing this one. I know you had the Showtime background writing about the Lakers. Why now? And perfect timing, actually, with things that are going on in the world, especially the death of Kobe Bryant. Um, I definitely would not say perfect timing. I mean... Yeah. I'd rather someone I wrote about not die. Um, yeah. I actually thought I, I mean, in a, in a way I would say his death, um, it probably hit me a million times harder having worked on this book. And cause I felt, I mean, I'd spent two years researching and writing a lot about him. So I don't know. I, I, to me, that was really devastating. I, um, I wrote the book just, I, I'm always looking for good characters to write about. And I'm also a big guy with nostalgia and Shaq Kobe to me is, um, there's a lot of nostalgia. It's been almost, you know, more than 20 years since they got together. So I thought that enough time had passed that it was worth kind of going back and looking at them and their relationship and that team and that franchise and that dynasty. Um, so it wasn't like I did it for a certain reason. Now I just, uh, it just struck me as a really good topic. And then unfortunately, you know, I would say seven months before the book, um, was scheduled to come out. Kobe Bryant died, and yeah, here we sit. Yeah, and you're certainly right about the characters and the uh, the, the people featured in this book. I mean, the book has so many great stories, and so I mean, the just the personalities are just you know, incredible. From just learning things about Phil and Shaq, and even some of the lesser known teammates that made up those teams, like maybe the you know the bench guys, but even the bench guys had some terrific stories. And I mean, that dynamic of the, those teams, I'm thinking, especially like the 99, 2000, 2001 teams, I did, you, you did a great job of illustrating the dynamic of those teams. Uh, I, I mean, I think, I, I think I asked you on Twitter or something, or I meant to ask you, like, how would you think any one of those three teams would, uh, with those personalities would do if they were in a bubble for, in Orlando for three months? I actually think they do okay. Because yeah. uh, the thing is what people forget, or maybe just don't think about, it's not like Kobe and Shaq had to hang out with each other away from the court. So, right. If they were playing in a bubble in Orlando, well, one guy would be in this hotel room, one guy would be in this hotel room. Kobe wasn't really a big part of the sort of off-the-court dynamics, so I don't think he would be, you know, going out to team dinners and, you know, with him in the hotel, and that would be totally fine. So I actually – I think they'd be okay. And, and the other thing is um, I really do believe this. Like, they're an interesting team, and they were an interesting collection of people because they won and they had this great run. But all teams have really – I mean – I would say, like, the guy sitting at the end of the bar is just as fascinating as Shaquille O'Neal. You know, like, right. everyone is interesting. If you, if you take time to tell someone's stories, everyone has an interesting story. Everyone has difficulties they have to get past. Everyone has tragedies. Everyone has highs and lows. It just so happens these guys were on a basketball team that was really, really good, which made them all the more engrossing. Um, Sometimes I wonder if and maybe you can speak to this. You've written so many books and talked to so many people. Sometimes I would think the guy at the end of the bench is more engrossing just because he's probably not as – as guarded, I would say, about his public image or public persona. And sometimes those are the folks that know what's really happening behind the scenes and give you good stories. 
Uh, those are always my favorite people to talk to. I, um, the way I always view it is a guy like Shaq has been interviewed a million times. Kobe had been interviewed a million times. Phil Jackson a million times. But how many times has Mike Penberthy talked about his time with the Lakers, you know? <laughs> Which is or, a great story, yeah. Yeah, Mike Penberthy is awesome. I'm literally, by the way, I just want to say, in an amazing feat of talent, I'm picking up my dog and doing this interview at the same time. Um, look at that. Um, multitasking. <laughs> We're all multitasking at home. Yeah, we are. Um, so I love those guys. And I, those are my go-to people. Like whenever I'm working on a book, the people I go to most and the people I try to find most are the Mike Penberthys and the Kareem Rushes and the – Mark Madsen's and all those guys, because I just think they have, they have stories to tell. And they were there for it all. That's a thing people sometimes forget. Like, they had the same access that Shaq did and that Kobe did to the Lakers during that period. They were there for it all. They just haven't been asked about it 10,000 times. So that's why. They're on the same bus. That. They're on the same plane. Exactly. Um, yeah, yeah, and we're going to – I'm sorry. Go ahead, Eric. I just interviewed Harvey Ayrton in his new book, Our Last Season, about a woman who sat in the front row for 40 years and he became friends with. And he talked about what a great sorts of – source of information she was and as a reporter I mean how much do you rely on that background to really get in depth about the characters of Shaq, Kobe, and Phil Jackson? A ton because they're telling you things that you didn't hear from other people they're also again like that to me the big thing is is that they they were all there but they just weren't asked so if you do a search whatever a newspapers.com search for Mike Penberthy and the Lakers you're just not going to find that much you know right. but then you call him and he's like oh do I have stories you know and all these guys have great stories to tell so, and the other thing I always say is this, like my, I would say in a lot of ways, my guiding principle when I'm reporting is the, like I wrote Brett Favre's biography and right. um, the guy, the free agent running back from Bucknell who was in camp with Green Bay for two weeks in 1999, Brett Favre probably won't remember that guy, but that guy's going to remember every experience he had with Brett Favre, you know, Highlight, so, one of the highlights of his life. Yeah. Like I always say, when I was a kid, I remember when I was a kid growing up in a small town, Mailpack, New York, there was a kid who went to our high school, he went on to pitch for the Seattle Mariners for a few years named Dave Fleming. And I was on a school bus with Dave Fleming one time. I was a freshman, he was a senior. I remember we had a conversation that lasted eight seconds. I remember it vividly. <laughs> I remember where I was sitting. I remember what I was doing. Dave Fleming would have no memory of that whatsoever. And that's like, that's kind of, that's sort of what, for me, what reporting is, is finding people who have those memories. And that's what sort of makes this book. And again, we're going to talk about uh, a lot of the, some of uh, Jeff's other books too, because he's written a ton. If you if you're a sports fan, or if you have a sports fan in your life, and you're going, you do a little gift shopping. Uh, look up Jeff Perlman and check out his books because I've read a ton of them. They're great. But that's sort of what I like about you know this latest book. And you've done it in the past. And I'm, the one that jumps out to me is the USFL book because that that's a whole nother scene. But um, just to be able to get those people to draw out, it's one thing to call them up and just ask them to speak to something, but to get them to just draw out these stories. And it just, it's, you get insight that you haven't gotten before. Um, I did want to ask about just with Kobe's death, which is very unfortunate, that obviously you've probably never written a book where something like that has happened, um, where someone you've researched on afterward has you know, passed away in such tragic fashion as he did. Did, did that, did you get, were you worried about the reaction you might get to how Kobe is portrayed in the book at all? Like any backlash? Very. Um, very, very, I, again, the book was done when he died and my first reaction was, you know, my first reaction was just sadness and really, you know, shock and all that stuff. And, um, then when you start thinking about the book, you think, man, this is the one thing you don't want people thinking, sorry, I keep moving around. The one thing you don't want That's people fine. thinking is that you, um, 
you wrote a get rich quick book. Someone dies and you turned around and said, oh, I'm going to write a book real quick and I'm going to make up a buck off of this guy dying. Um, I'd work on a book for two years before it came out, but I was uh, very aware that people would have that perception. I was, I was nervous about that because I hate when people do that. I hate when people turn around books real quick or you see like, like there was one thing, Kobe died. This actually happened. I was in a Barnes and Noble. It was about eight days after Kobe died and there was a book out. And it was something like Remembering Kobe. I think it was called Remembering Kobe. And I was like, how did that book get out in eight days? And then making it even worse in your reaction, there had been a book that came out like six years ago called, I think, Guarding Kobe or Defending Kobe. And it was a book interviewing different players who played against him. Basically, it had to have been, they had to make this decision within three days of his death. They put a new cover on it, renamed the book Remembering Kobe, and put it out in bookstores. To me, that was freaking sick, like just wrong. And I didn't want to be perceived as that way. So I was able to add a quick author's note at the beginning, sort of talking about that this, the Kobe Bryant you're about to read about is just a small period of his life. And it was a developmental period. And don't confuse 21-year-old Kobe with 41-year-old Kobe. That's a um, great point. Because, yeah, you had the, the note in the beginning of the book was sort of perfect. It felt very real. Like you're sitting, I believe, in like at a coffee shop, right? Mm -hmm. And you're just like, like we all do, especially if you're a writer. You've got your laptop out and you get the news. And it just it felt very genuine. That's why I wondered... If that, if people recognize that, that yeah, just what you're saying, this is a, this is a small portion of the guy's life. He lived a short life, but even within that short life, you know, a lot happened from 2004, say to 2018 with Kobe. And so right. it was good to hear. It's good to hear that, you know, just you had that real reaction to it. And it's well, I mean, one thing that I, uh, I definitely thought a lot about through the years is. Um, there's this idea, I think there's this idea out there that if you write about someone's life, especially after they died, and it has negative, like I wrote Walter Payton's biography, and this was right. after they died. And there was a lot in there that was not flattering about Walter Payton. There was much more in there that was flattering, but there was a lot in there that wasn't. Right. Uh, drug abuse and infidelity and an out-of-wedlock kid and blah, blah, blah. And the backlash was fierce. And I really, the, the thing I always say, and I truly, truly believe, I don't just say it, is it doesn't take away from someone's legacy to find out they were human. And it doesn't take away from someone's greatness to find out that they struggled with real world problems. You know, I know some people, we want our celebrities to be perfect. And we want, we want to know that Taylor Swift never goes to the bathroom. And we want to know that LeBron James never blah, 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 whatever. You know, like, it's just not true. And finding out that Kobe Bryant was a pain in the ass at 21 doesn't take away from who he was at 41, you know? And like, it just, I find it very frustrating when people are of this belief that you can't, you can't have heroes and also know their blemishes. I think knowing their blemishes makes them more heroic. Besides, the other thing is, who are we to throw stones? How do, I, I was an idiot when I was 21. I don't know how I would act if I was, had that much. I mean, how, how would any of us react to be in that sort of bubble? I agree. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Agree. And, and to me, it speaks better of him in a way, like, in a way, you can make yeah. the argument if you look at what he went through and you look at, how he was raised and he really was raised in this bubble. And when he was, I've said this a million times, Kobe Bryant grew up in two places where he was basically the only African-American kid around. He, at 17 years old, he gets an Adidas deal. At 17 years old, he's holding a press conference to announce he's going to the NBA with the members of Boys to Men standing in the back of the room. At 17, he's going to a senior prom with Brandy. Like he basically was raised in an abnormal environment. Um, and the reason you see so many, I think, child stars struggle later on in life is because they never had the simple things that you need in your life, getting a job and getting fired for not showing up on time. Right. Um, 
getting your driver's license and then crashing into a light pole. You know, like little things. It sounds dumb. Yeah. Yeah. Asking a girl out and having her say, I would never go out with you. Like all those little things, you know, like little, you need those things in your life. And when people don't have them and when they're raised in a bubble, it's very hard to sort of, you're learning on the fly how to be a human being. So I think he really was learning on the fly how to be a human being. And that's a great point you put out in the book too. Just you, you illustrate just how this 18 year old kid is now going with these grown professional athletes. He's, he's joining their, their pod, so to speak, their, you know, their group. Yeah. Oh no, by the way, it's not the Charlotte Hornets or the New Jersey Nets, nothing, right. nothing against those guys. It's the Los Angeles freaking Lakers. I mean, I mean, which like, want to just make the kid the quarterback of the Cowboys when he's 19 or put him at shortstop at yeah. the Yankees. So that you did it. That that's if you if folks that want to check out this book and where Jeff's written a lot of great books, this latest book, it just, that's a great insight into how, how these guys are and the Kobe stuff, which we all, if you love basketball the way I do, you got feelings of Kobe, the player, but this really lets you into the Kobe, the person. And it's just, it's fascinating. I didn't know a lot of this about the guy. Thank you, Jeff. One of the things I was fascinated about, you know, covering the UConn women's basketball team, Kobe developed a connection with Gino Ariema. His daughter wanted to go to school there. How, from what you reported and the, the, the research you did, how was Kobe able to overcome some of the big mistakes he made in his life to become this really lovable figure? Uh, I mean, he had, he, I mean, he had a, the Colorado incident. A lot of things happened where maybe people didn't like him, but he was well regarded and people really liked him you know, before he died. It's, uh, in a lot of ways, it's one of the great comeback mysteries. Mystery might be the wrong word, but um, if you said in 2004, Kobe Bryant's gonna become Miss, he's gonna become kind of this statesman and he's gonna become this Academy Award winner. And he's gonna be known as this guy with, with that girl dad hashtag, you know, and all this stuff like it. Right. It wasn't really viewable. I didn't, you couldn't have seen that. I think it was much more likely he would be in prison for 20 years for raping a girl in Colorado, to be honest. Um, I think a few things happened to him that were pretty important. Um, I think number one, he got hurt late in his career. And then number two, he was no longer that good late in his career. You know, he was, he was still good, but he wasn't what he'd been. I think athletes who go through that great athletes need to go through a decline. I think it's important. It's much harder if you're 26 and you're great and you have an injury and your career's over. I think that's really hard. I think when you go through a decline and you, you're here and you move down and you, you sort of adjust to this idea, like the Lakers were bad at the end of his career. He wasn't very good at the end of his career. I think it gave him almost like a, an exit plan to leave gracefully, and this is what it's going to be, and I'm no longer the best player in the league. I'm no longer the best player on this team. I just think those things kind of helped him immensely. And I also think becoming a dad, as cliche as that sounds, I think, I think at, the athletes who never learn that there are more important things than playing the Nuggets on Tuesday night are athletes who struggle a lot in their post-career. And I think he really came to realize that when I was 23, this was the most important thing in my life, but it's not the most important thing in life. Perspective. If, uh, if I always like to ask authors, when you do all this research, talk to all these people, for the regular sports fan out there, if, you're, if you can have a beer with one of these guys and sit down and shoot the breeze, would it be Phil? Would it be Kobe? Would it be Shaq? Who would you want to sit down with at a bar and just, they'd, have a, they'd be a good guy to talk to, a regular I had. I had eight hours with Phil for the book, um, <laughs> which is pretty good. That's a lot of beers. Um, yeah. I don't drink beer, so it wasn't. <laughs> it was it was driving around. Um, but I would say, uh, I actually would say Phil. I think um, he's just really smart. It's always nice talking to smart people and and sort of insightful people. And think about athletes. I mean, Phil's far enough removed. Like 
there's so much ego involved. And it's like, um, it's almost like when you're interviewing, I've had these interviews, when you're interviewing an actor or an actress and they talk about themselves for nine hours and give you one minute, they don't ask you one question. I feel like a lot of former athletes, somewhat recently retired athletes have that in them, but he doesn't. He's really inquisitive and he's really smart. He's really interested in what you have to say. And there's a real good back and forth. I would say eight hours, we probably talked about basketball 20% of the time, you know, and the rest of it was this human conversation. So um, I'll go with Phil. That's awesome. Hmm. And, and a guy that, again, has a, a background that uh, where you see how, how he illustrated where, where he grew up, how he grew up with his, the relationship with his parents. Not someone you would peg that would end up as a professional athlete and a, and a professional head coach, but certainly no. a guy. Yeah. He had an amazing career. I mean, if you look yeah, at he did. it. And I always, um, the one thing I, I sort of started thinking about a lot, I used to be one of these guys who was like, wow, anyone can win with Kobe and anyone can win with Michael Jordan. And then I, one day it just hit me. It's like, name a, name a team that won a championship and wasn't great. You know, like his criticism was he won championships with great players. When does that not happen? Yeah, who does? I mean, like, it's a weird criticism, actually. Like, when does that not happen? Joe Torre, you know, I mean, he has great players. They, yeah, Red yeah. Auerbach, great player. You know, like, you're not winning. Yeah. Popovich has great players. You're not winning without great players. So I always thought it was a weird. Also, he, um thing that was interesting about Phil, I think, is he doesn't really fit in the club. Like, he's never a guy who's going to go golfing with five other coaches and talk about that game against Phoenix in 93. Like, he's just not that guy. And I think there's a certain boys club that he was never a part of and never wanted to be a part of that right. made him a little bit of an outcast and probably got him a little bit of a negative rep. Interesting. Did you enjoy watching the last dance? Were you one of the millions who were sitting on the couch during the pandemic checking that out? What were your thoughts about that? I loved it. I actually, I heard a lot of criticisms afterwards and I didn't, I just enjoyed it. Like I actually, I said to my kids, it made me really appreciate um, the greatness of Jordan. Like I'd forgotten. Now as a human being, I, I find him not very likable. Right. I just find him when he's got, you know, like just not likable. But watching him play, it was really a reminder. I hadn't seen footage of him, that much footage of him in a long time. It was just a reminder how ridiculous he was and how magical that time period was, you know? So, uh, yeah, it, I loved made, it. Me, made me think probably what we talked about a little earlier. It made me feel old because there's so much this is LeBron now the greatest of all time. But then watching that, I went back to like watching him in high school and college. Yeah. No, 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 man. No, I mean, I love, LeBron is, is amazing. But like, let's, I mean, Jordan was just. You, you you had to, I hate, again, I sound old, but you had to be there. And that sort of reminded us of that, just his, his greatness. I mean, you can make the argument. The thing is, you can make the argument. There are times yeah. when people are like, Kobe's the greatest player of all time. I was, like, I was like, I don't see that as an argument. But with LeBron, you can make the argument. It's certainly an argument to be made. I think Jordan was probably, it probably goes down as greater. But, I mean, I got no beef for LeBron James, guys. The fact that he's going to have a longer career is always going to factor into that. But I'm also in the group of like, I'd rather see a guy that's, you know, I'd rather see Sandy Koufax than Don Sutton. I'd rather see a guy who's just ah. unbeatable for a short amount of time rather than a guy who's really, really, really good for 20 years. And I'm not saying LeBron James is Don Sutton. I'm just saying like, sometimes we have to factor in that, you know, the, the length, even though if he has a longer career, doesn't necessarily mean better. But that's. I just that want to say. This is an important point I need to make. I've done about, I've probably done about 170 interviews for this book. And that's the first time during any of these interviews that Don Sutton mentioned <laughs> reference was dropped. And I give you big props for that. Are you that's talking? That's you the, think, the least obscure reference on our usual episodes. Are you thinking, are you thinking Dodger Don Sutton? 
Angel down Sudden or Astro down Sudden or briefly Milwaukee Brewer and Oakland A down Sudden. I was going to say Brewer. I, there you go. I was going to think Brewer down Sudden. Yeah. yeah. Very nice. Very nice. The Harvey Wallbanger era, if he was on, on those teams. Wow. If anything, the last dance made me have to introduce my kids to LL Cool J because it brought back some, you oh. know, that mid 80s music. So we popped on this, you know, the popped Mama on the YouTube and. Yeah, and, and the you know some uh, I'm bad that type of stuff. I'm a third. You, put on, you guys uh, CSI LA for them? You didn't give them that? No, no. Do you guys have any interest? I was thinking maybe the three of us could team up and do a last dance about Don Sutton and the Milwaukee <laughs> Brewer days. I, I could do that, and it could be six parts. Yeah. Uh, Jesus God Almighty! Listen, you've written all these. You've written all these books, Jeff. Who was your? You had a lot of great characters, man. If you if you had to pick one guy, who was your favorite character to profile? Wait, ever? Yeah, of, from, your, from your books. I mean, there was a guy from my USFL book who nobody heard of. His name was Greg Fields, and his nickname was Big Paper. And he was a defensive lineman. He played at Grambling, and then he played for the Colts. And he was cut by the Atlanta Falcons before he went to the USFL, and he refused to leave the facility. And they had to bring oh. an armed security guard to get him out. <laughs> and then he was cut by the LA Express, and their coach was John Hadle. And he, John Hadle brought him into the office to cut him and Greg Fields reached across the table and punched him in the face and then started uh, calling in death threats against the coach. And the team had to hire Liberace's security guard to guard the team. It's a crazy story. So Greg Fields is very high up. But now all the books have – every book has at least one standout character to me who matters. It's usually not the lead character in the book. It's a side character. I kind of like – I'm sorry, go ahead. You always say you never want to meet your heroes. And you know, just doing some research – Dealing with Clemens, dealing with Bonds, Brett Favre. Mm -hmm. I mean, you hear stories that these guys can be real, for lack of a better term, jerks. And that came through with some of these books, didn't it? Yeah. I mean, Bonds in particular. I mean, I covered Bonds a lot when I was at Sports Illustrated. Right. And I always say he uh, – so I've covered some bad guys. I wrote the John Rocker story for Sports Illustrated. And I did a lot of Will Clark and guys I didn't like. But I always thought Bonds was unique, and he went out of his way to make your day worse. Like, you actually seem to take some weird pleasure in making your job harder, you know, like making you wait 10 minutes longer because he could. Um, he's a guy, you know, I remember when I used to, this actually always stuck with me. When I used to, uh, I'd ask people about Bonds on the Giants, and they'd always say, well, he's always, hey, he's always been good to me. And I always thought, that is the worst judge of character ever. Like, how is he to the guy who holds the door for him every day? How is he to the guy who has to clean his cleats? How is he to the videographer? Like, course he's good to you you're pitching for the team like how but the way he treated other people i'd never seen a person worse to right. the way he treated how he treated the clubbing you know what i mean yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. you should judge people by how they treat people they don't need to treat well exactly okay. mm -hmm. yeah so oh, i'm gonna ask this question real quickly because i know a few minutes left but we're asking it because it just came up this week the ballot you you wrote about clemens you wrote about bonds hall of fame ballots came out this week mm -hmm. Well, if you were to vote, and I don't think any of us here do have a vote. I don't think, Eric, I don't think you have a vote, do you? No, I just have a Heisman vote. Right. Um, That's pretty good, though. Would, yeah, you check the, would you check the boxes off for Bonds, Clemens, or any of the quote-unquote steroid guys that are still out there on the ballot? All right, so I wouldn't. Um, I'm not quite as – I used to be really feisty on this issue, and then I just stopped caring a little bit. Um, <clears throat> my main thing is – all right, so I'll tell you real quick. I have a uh, – one of the guys I stayed in – there aren't that many ball players I covered who I stayed in contact with. But one of them was a guy named Sal Fasano. Do you guys remember Sal Fasano, the catcher? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Big mustache, so Sal, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Facial hair. Yeah, Fu Manchu mustache, a great guy. And um, when Sal was playing, he had a son. He's fine now, but he had a son who was born with a heart condition. 
And Sal wanted to retire, but he hung on, hung on, hung on, so he could get the major leagues healthcare. And he signed with Cleveland, and he was sent down to the minors, and he just was holding on to get the healthcare, so he could get his son a heart, uh, the prop, the best medication possible, the best medical care possible. Right. And um, I knew Sal really well, and I believe him. We had these conversations. He never used PEDs. And I remember looking at the Mitchell report and seeing the uh, like 10, 12 catchers who are just like Sal Fasano who are listed on the Mitchell report. Mm-hmm. And I really remember thinking like, all you guys who cheated took a job away from this guy who was trying to do it the right way for the exact right reason. He was just trying to take care of his kid and he was trying to have a major league career. He was busting his ass and you guys cheated and you know you cheated. And if you, weren't, if you hadn't cheated, you would have admitted you did it, but you didn't admit you did it because you knew it was wrong to do. And I just don't believe in rewarding guys who cheat. I just don't. And people say, oh, everyone cheated, but they didn't all cheat. Like they didn't all cheat. That's a BS way of thinking. And I'm just not, I'm not a fan of rewarding. If my kid gets an A the first time, like people say, well, Bonds, he was great with Pittsburgh. He would still get in. Right. I say, if my kid has an A early in the class and then she decides to cheat the second half of the class and gets caught, she fails that class. They're not going to be like, well, you did really well early on. Like you failed. So I'm just, for me personally, I, I don't really believe in rewarding cheaters. It's a great point because, you know, that's one guy that you know that you had a connection with. But, I mean, there is a hell of a lot of Sal Fasanos out there that probably never even got the chance to even get, you know, have the cup of coffee. Right. Now, they get the cup of coffee. Maybe it's more than a 10-day stay because somebody's on the DL. Maybe it's, you know, maybe it's an entire career that lasts for years. So, it's a great point. I've got, gone back and forth. Not that anybody's caring too much what I think about because I don't have a boat. I but, care. Uh, <laughs> You're the one. You know, I, I was one. literally like, you know, baseball in the 90s, late 90s were promoting this. They had no pan- punishment for it. Mm-hmm. So if they didn't care then, why the hell should, um, should I say they cared now, that they care now? Well, if you mm-hmm. didn't mind it then, why the hell wouldn't I vote them in? But I kind of like, but that's sort of a one, a, a, a shallow argument. I think yours is a lot deeper that there's just a trickle down effect from, effect from that that matters to people and it has a real impact on people. So that's a great point. I just, I just want to say, I find it weird. I really do. One thing that's bothered me, especially recently in America, is we tell our kids not to bully. Don't bully. Don't bully. Don't belittle. Don't make fun of people. And then we vote in a, we you support a president who bullies and mocks people. You tell our kids not to cheat. And you're saying, yeah, you cheated. Congratulations on getting in the Hall of Fame. Like, I'm not even trying to be political. I just mean, like, I, w- I think we should be a little more consistent in who we are as people. And if we're going to say, insist on a behavior for our kids, and say this is right and this is wrong. Well, we freaking at least owe it to them to live up to that. Yeah, and we do, we we fail that as a society lately. That is, and we don't have a lot of time left, but I'm actually going to give you a plug because that's an awesome segue. Uh, I I love this book. I'm a Cowboys fan. I'm a Mets fan. I'm one of those people. I'm an ins- I'm su- I'm insufferable. Um, and I loved uh the book uh, uh about the uh, the Cowboys. Great story. Start with Everett McGyver. The Mets book uh, was awesome. But my favorite book of yours is the USFL book because uh, what is a football for a buck? Yep. Uh, because there's so many awesome stories of so many characters like Fred Pusina, I forget his name, the guy who was like the leading passer of the USFL, even though Steve Young and Jim Kelly were in the league. But you mentioned our current president and the information, the stories and the info about how his role as the New Jersey General's owner mm-hmm. and, the, and how that led to the demise of the league, I'm just going to tease it, is awesome. And it's like you, we, you just, you nailed it. It's like just one more great example. So again, that's another great book. Football for a buck. You don't have to remember the USFL. It doesn't matter. I was like 11 when the league folded. It does not matter. It's a great book. And the stories about the New Jersey general's owner is just, uh, they're just epic. Thank you. What's your, ne- what's your next project, Jeff, before we let you go? 
Well, you actually mentioned your Heisman voter. My next, I'm doing a, a Bo Jackson biography. Is my next. Oh, one. great. Yeah. You've heard of him. You know yeah. Bo. Vincent, yeah, we, we know Bo. Bo knows Bo. We know Bo. Yeah. I've shown my I've shown my 11 year old son plenty of YouTube videos about some past athletes, and he is on the list of. Oh man, him climbing the wall in Kansas oh. City. I'm sitting here oh. as you're saying that, and just hit my ear that you said that. I'm like, I don't think there's really a book that. I, that, that I'm glad you're doing it because I like your your work. Um, that I mean, that's a story. The what if I think what so. ifs in American sports history is Bo is Bo Jackson. I will say one thing. I, that I always find interesting, I really do believe is, let's say Bo Jackson had become Eric Dickerson, right? Or let's say right. Bo Jackson had become whoever, Albert Bell or Will Clark, that kind of production, right? It wouldn't be nearly as interesting. You'd just be like, how often are we talking about Eric Dickerson or Will Clark right now? But there's something, people still, Bo Jackson YouTube clips are in the millions and millions and people, it's almost like the Paul Bunyan story of sports. Right. Know? So I've loved it. It's been really fun actually. And when you think that, uh, it's due uh, a year from now, so it'll probably come out two years from now. They take forever. Yeah. Okay. Well, well, we look forward to it. Yeah, if, if we're still, if we're still, if we haven't, if we're still doing this, and we haven't somehow been about one from <laughs> yeah. platforms, come back on in two years, at the, if not earlier, because I that is a great topic. Are you? Is this? Are you making public that you're dumping Eric and giving up the podcast? Is that what that was? <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> no. Like a marriage, it's ups and downs. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> Listen, we uh, appreciate you taking a few minutes to talk to us, Jeff. Best of luck. Stay sane during this pandemic, and uh, we look forward to talking to you down the road. All right. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank Thanks, guys. Right, take care, guys. So a book about Bo Jackson, count me in on that one, as you just heard, his next project. And if they're half as good as any of the other books, we're in for real. Yeah. It, you know, as he told us, he gets some great stories out of some of the people behind the scenes. So yeah. that could be really great. And Bo Jackson, it feels like that book is overdue. I mean... You know, Bono. 30 on Bo was great. I don't know if you it, remember that. It was great. You know, Bo knows Bo. And, you know, for people of a certain age, the late 80s, early 90s, you you talk about, you you said it, Bo knows Bo and those commercials. You know, Michael Michael Jordan and all his Nike commercials. Man, Bo, those Bo commercials were right up there in popularity and they were everywhere. You couldn't escape Bo Jackson. One yeah, of the I great what if stories. Try to explain Bo to my kids, you know, and I've shown them the old YouTube, but it just, you know, you got to see it to believe it. That's how great. It's like, yeah, you got to show them YouTube or if they're like, they, they, it looks so bad compared to their video games now, but break out some Tecmo Bowl from like, I love me Tecmo Bowl, like 1989. Yeah. yeah. Um, anybody who knows Tecmo Bowl and Bo Jackson knows exactly what I'm talking about. Especially yeah. if, you're me, you, if you're like me and you play way too much Tecmo Bowl in, call, in college. But that'll be a great book. Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully now, listen, we're going we're gonna to wrap this up. But before we go, uh, you have one more. Uh, take care of some uh, business for us. Sell some products there so we can make some money. Let's go. Absolutely. Hey, listen, we all know it's, we're in the cold and flu season now, this time of year, and also dealing with COVID. It's extra, extra um, important to stay safe and make sure your loved ones stay safe. Now, you hear us talk about every week about Instacart and the convenience and the security of shopping for, from, with, for your groceries from home with Instacart. Well, as we head into cold and flu season, Instacart's launched a program called Senior Support Services. And the goal of this is to help customers over the age of 60 order their groceries online so they can stay safe and healthy during the upcoming winter season. And they get free delivery on their first order. It's easy to set up. So if you or you know someone that might be uh, able to benefit from this, easy to do, easy to set up. I've been on Instacart. You can get an account set up in like three minutes. So go to instacart.com and you can go go there by clicking on to the EDBC podcast and clicking on any of our episodes. Go on there, click the link for instacart.com, 
to walk you through the steps, sign you up. And again, that's a great, great, great feature for some folks who are maybe old, a little older and really need to stay safe and healthy and are just trying to hunker down and stay low during the winter and cold and flu season. Instacart helps you get those groceries sometimes in less than under an hour to your home. Free delivery, and just again, delivery, free delivery on your first order. That is great. Multiple stores, so you can use local stores. They're going to shop for fresh produce. So, you know, you're not getting the five day old apples or the mealy grapes or anything that, yeah, yeah. no, no, healthy stuff, healthy food from your local stores that you know. Again, go through our EDBC podcast, any one of our episodes, click on instacart.com and set it up. And remember, look for senior support services. Instacart, save this holiday season and when you shop. Beautiful. All right, it's the holiday weekend, folks. Enjoy it. Be safe out there. Walk off that turkey from uh, Thanksgiving Day and whatever else you ate or drank. I know I always drink and eat way too much. You know what? It's not Thanksgiving. So. Yeah, I know. And this is, you know, it's this is a crazy Thanksgiving. It's a tough one for a lot. It's been a tough one for a lot of people. You know, it's this whole crazy weekend, and we're, you know, now we're moving into the full, we're full fledged in the holiday season. But so yeah, have a little extra eggnog or maybe an extra slice of pie. We've all earned it. Just be healthy and safe. All right, that'll do it for this edition of the EDBC Podcast. Eric Dobratz and Brian Coleman. We'll get back to our football and all that fun stuff uh, later in the week. But until then, have a, again, as Brian mentioned, a safe and happy holiday. And uh, until the next time, Brian, say goodbye. See ya.